0: Howdy, this is Jessica Hardiman, and you're listening to the Haze Grain Underway Podcast, where Navy life meets real life. Every week, we take a unique approach to what's happening all around us and try to break down a few stories in an attempt to make sense of things. This week's segments include quarters, what's new on the ocean blue, the leadership chronicles, and here's the thing. So secure for sea, make your Mander-ready reports to the bridge, and let's get underway. Welcome to the Haze Gray and Underway podcast, and Ask the Chief production, where we will take a bizarre view through the lens of my looking glass. We will discuss what's happening in the world, what's happening in the military, and just what's happening. And now your host, Jessica Hartman. Welcome, welcome. I am so excited to be with you on today, Friday, November 2nd. And if this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome to the show. And if you are a returning listener, thanks for coming back. So, OMG, October has come and left very fast. (laughs) But I must say, October was definitely an enjoyable month. Um, Getting back to work and just kind of getting in the whole groove of things. Um, I think I finally, you know, I got my groove and my routine down pat and just, plugging away at these qualifications because in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I have to go back to see you very soon. <laughs> but while I'm here in this particular billet, I want to make sure that I maximize my time there. So like right now I have certain goals set for myself, right? Um, got back to work. What is it like October 4th? And of course I know that I had to get qualified to instruct and they typically will give you 45 days to get your instructor qualification, right? Those, you know, previous instructors, you know, you got your P1, P2, P3, which is how your practice teaches. Um, And then you have an additional 45 days after getting your instructor qual to qualify to teach a topic. So I said to myself, well, you only have a short period of time here, so you don't get to go by the same deadlines as everyone else so got back to work sat down had my whole little spill got my plan okay cool 45 days all right i gotta do it sooner than that so october was a very hectic month for me um obviously adjusting to going back to work but more importantly i needed to get quals before the end of the month Whew, with a lot of prayer and a lot of help from both the civilians and military folks uh, at the office i was able to get all of my practice teachers done and not only qualify to instruct, but also qualified to instruct two topics on the 26th of October. So I'm super duper excited about that. You want to do everything you can in your power to push yourself and not just for you, but to show people through your actions that you don't have an excuse to not excel. So that's kind of been my, my month in a nutshell on the professional side. On a personal side, you know, we had Halloween come up, you know, People feel one or two ways about it. Some people, you know, believe that Halloween is harmless and it's just a time for kids to be kids and to dress up as, you know, goons and goblins and, you know, superheroes and all that good stuff and get candy. Then you have others who will say, okay, no, uh, it's a pagan holiday. These are demons and I don't want to have anything to do with it. I think for me, from a safety standpoint, I am not a fan of going to strangers' homes, and just hoping that they do the right thing. So for me, I'm glad that we have additional outlets. My daughter goes to an after-school program at a church that's like right next door to her school, and they have what's called a harvest festival, where they had, you know, games and crafts and candy, and the kids could wear, you know, costumes, that kind of thing, and they could do that in a safe environment. My daughter, she she lucked out this year because not only did she have that at her after school program, but we also had that at our church that we attend. I mean, they went all out with the bouncy houses and dance contest and uh, fashion show and food, and I mean, it was it was a blast. So much so that my where my daughter, she didn't even think about the fact that we didn't go door to door getting candy. She was just happy to be running around playing and just having a good time, and I love that. The other thing with October, uh, you have parent-teacher conferences. So I had to do a parent-teacher conference for my daughter. She's in second grade. She's seven years old. Now the thing that I know about my daughter is that she is extremely intelligent. Very much so, and I don't say that just because she's my child. <laughs> I've had that confirmed uh, too many times by her by her teachers and just by the tests that she brings home. I appreciate the parent-teacher conference because I know that it's an opportunity for you to uh, sit down with the teachers and be able to have a, a thought-provoking discussion. We uh, we sit down and, you know, she puts in front of us this paper and she's like, Hey, you know, your child is reading at an advanced level, you know, the math, English, all that kind of stuff. You know, it's great. You see that stuff at the top. And then it gets into like strengths and weaknesses and that kind of thing. So the, the strength, the first thing you see is... Uh, she is a natural leader. She tells me, you know, she is, she's like the leader of her, of her table. When instructions put out, she wants to explain it to everybody and make sure that everybody understands exactly what's supposed to happen and when it's supposed to happen, how it's supposed to happen, all that good stuff. And I'm like, okay. And you know, she talks about some other things from a a leadership standpoint that the seven year old possesses in her class. But what she uses to describe her, uh, her brain matter (laughs) Uh, is bright. That's what she says. And I'm I'm reading this and I said, Okay, bright and then she said, Capable it was another word that she used. And I and I'm reading these these terms and I'm finding myself um having to kinda scale back my um my irritation because to me when I hear that or when I read that I I see um I see mediocrity, and I could be wrong for saying that, but I do. So we're gonna take a quick break, and when we return, <laughs> I'm gonna let you know how the discussion at home went. You are listening to the Hayes Gray and Underway podcast, where Navy life meets real life. We'll fast forward. My husband and I are home after doing the parent-teacher conference, and. I remember sitting down and saying, okay, well, how do you think things went? How do you feel about it? And, you know, he's like, oh, everything's good. I thought that was great. You know, obviously we know a couple of things we need to work on with her. And he goes, well, how do you feel? And I said, well, I'm kind of bothered. I'm bothered because I'm a believer that you want to give credit where credit is due. And I said, and I don't feel like this teacher is giving my child the credit that she deserves. Once again, I like, I I don't try to be this overbearing parent to say, okay, my child walks on water and there's nothing wrong that she ever does because I know that that's a lie, but at the same time too, um, I also want to make sure that my child is being set up for success. And I feel like sometimes in the education community, there are, you know, dog whistles that essentially generate labels. And I'm not a fan of that. I'm in an 80, right? And I have a service record follows me everywhere. You can sit here and pull up every evaluation that I've ever had in my Navy career. So you'll see the good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent, all that stuff. Just as as in the Navy, I would have a supervisor that is saying, you know, this is who this person is. And that's Kaysha wrote, this teacher is saying, this is who this person is. And I felt like, okay, you're telling me that she's bright and she's capable of doing whatever. And to me, those are low grade words to be used to describe my daughter. I was bothered. So I sat here and I said, "Okay, let's look up bright." Definition number 1, radiating or reflecting light. Definition number 2, illustrious, glorious. Definition number 3, beautiful. Definition number 4, of high saturation or lightness. Definition number 5a, lively, cheerful. Definition number 5b, intelligent, clever. So I'm listening, I'm, I'm reading these and I'm like, okay, once again, when I hear bright, when I hear it, I feel like that say, oh, this person is, has potential to be a good student. This person has potential to, you know, be all right, but they're there, but they're not there yet. This person is capable of being able to read, capable of being able to count, but you know, they need some work. So that was bright. That's how I interpreted bright. So then let's talk about intelligence. And I went to that, right? And I said, okay, intelligence. Definition number one, having good understanding or high mental capacity, quick to comprehend. Definition number two, displaying or characterized by quickness of understanding, sound thought, or good judgment. Definition number three, having the faculty of reasoning and understanding, possessing intelligence. Now, <laughs> If I were to sit here and to listen to this teacher describe my daughter talking about how advanced she is with the reading, how um advanced she is with her math, how she is this leader that essentially is ensuring that others are able to, to grow as well. I don't think that I would describe her as bright. I don't think that I would describe her as, as capable when I'm putting up air quotes. So for me, I'm bothered by that because you're diminishing her, what she actually has shown you. And it's like, does that intimidate you that a seven year old can possess these things at that age? Is that why you, you, you want to, you know, put this ceiling on her and say, well, she's bright and she's capable. Once again, dog whistles. So in 2009, uh, there was a thesis written and the title of the thesis was labeling in the classroom. Teacher Expectations and the Effects on Students' Academic Potential. I won't read through all of it, but there's something that I do want to highlight. So it talks about teachers' uh, expectations, particularly, and says, the expectations teachers have of their students inevitably affects the way that teachers interact with them, which ultimately leads to changes in the student's behavior and attitude. So there was a study performed by Robert Rosenthal, And it says, okay, elementary school teachers were given IQ scores for all their students, scores that unbeknownst to them did not reflect the IQ. And in fact, it didn't measure anything at all. Yet what ended up happening was that teachers formed a positive expectation for those students who scored high on the exam versus those who scored low. Now in response to those expectations, the teachers altered their classroom environments in four different ways. First, the teaching climate was drastically different depending on if a smart child asked questions or offered answers versus if a quote unquote dumb child performed the same behaviors. Now the smart kids, I'm using air quotes, uh, were met with warm and supportive feedback while the quote unquote dumb kids were not. Secondly, the amount of input. A teacher gave to a smart student was much higher and until more material being taught versus if the student was considered dumb. Third, the opportunity to respond to a question was only lengthened for students identified as smart. And lastly, teachers made much more of an effort to provide positive and encouraging feedback to the smart children while little attention or feedback was given to the dumb students, even if they provided the correct answer. What is this saying to you? Well, when with this study, the teachers, when they felt as though this child met whatever markers, okay, this child is, is smart from what I believe to be a measurement of uh, intelligence. I'm going to nurture that. But if for whatever reason that child doesn't meet my marker, I'm not going to work to build that child up to this. I'm not going to push this child. I'm just going to put this child in this box and I'm not going to try as hard. And that's unfortunate. And as parents, I think we sometimes put the development of our kids solely on the teachers. And we have this expectation that the teachers are just going to take this young mind and mold it and, and, and handle it with care and do all these things. But let's be realistic. These teachers are overworked and they're underpaid and they're human and they will fall short just like we do. And so we have to change that mindset. We have to approach it as a unit, right? I have to be able to reinforce the things that you're teaching in class, which means that you as a teacher have to communicate with me effectively. And you have to be reinforcing the things that I'm teaching at home, which means that I have to communicate with you effectively. And together we'll build this brilliant mind and take it to the next level. But it takes the effort of both parties. I'm on a mission to ensure that my child is not left behind. I also have a responsibility to her to make sure that she's being taught to where she is and pushed to the next level, both from us at home, but also from the school that she attends. So what we're going to do is take a quick break. And when we return, we'll talk about what's new on the ocean blue. You are listening to the Hayes Gray and underway podcast where Navy life meets real life. Welcome back. So this week on what's new on the ocean blue, I want to deviate from what I typically would talk about uh, to focus on the elections. I know, I know, I know. (laughs) I'm sure many of you have been bombarded. If you are, have been watching the news or listening to talk radio, that's all that anybody seems to be able to talk about. Um, But there's a reason why. Unfortunately, as important at this, uh, as this upcoming midterm election is, there are still many individuals who don't have any intention on voting. I know myself just being out and about uh, talking with random people and just throwing it out there like, hey, you know, you're ready for the midterms. I'm still surprised and I know it shouldn't be, uh, but I am still surprised at how many people don't even know what midterm elections are or better yet, in, in terms of their local elections that they have, um, whether it be school board or what have you, they, they don't come out to vote for that. Uh, not realizing that yes, you have your presidential election and you have, you know, your senators that you send to DC, uh, but the things that are affecting you right now, Uh, Different ordinances, uh, even you know the education piece. That stuff is decided by your 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 local uh, elected officials. And until you start getting involved locally, you're gonna you know if you are running into roadblocks or you are unsatisfied or excuse me dissatisfied with how your city, county, or what have you is running, your local elected officials are the individuals that you need to be concerned with and making sure you have those right individuals in office so anyways back to the midterms so what are the midterms well as the name states the midterms are basically elections that happen halfway through the president's term so the midterms is the name that's given to the combination of elections for the u.s congress governorships and other statewide races that take place every two years. Additionally, it's an opportunity to vote on initiatives that have the potential to become law. So an example would be in Florida, on their ballot for this midterm election, there is a referendum to restore voting rights to I believe it's like 1.3 million felons, which is awesome. Now you may ask yourself, okay, why are the midterms so important? Well, (laughs) so many reasons why. So the midterm elections allow for American voters to reassess the state of power and elect representatives who can check the president's agenda. So for instance, with your house of representatives, their main function is they set the agenda, right? The president says, Hey, this is what I want to accomplish. And Congress will say, all right, um, these are the bills that we're going to, uh, generate. And we're going to pass them in the House of Representatives. Then we're going to send them to the Senate for them to go ahead and pass them so that we can then put it on the president's desk and he can sign it into law. If you feel that you have a House of Representatives or you have a, a Senate that doesn't have your best interests at hand, then it will behoove you to ensure that you are sending the right individuals to Congress that have your interests in mind. And depending on that balance of power, it's going to also determine who controls the legislation. So I I know that, you know, in terms of our day-to-day, that's not something that we think about. But the laws don't just appear out of thin air. They are drafted and presented and voted on and signed into law. So if you, you know, once upon a time, certain races, certain genders weren't allowed to vote because that was something that was, that was the law. And I'll get into to some of that uh, some of that history here in a second, but if you think that every you know everybody is just gonna do the right thing because they are an elected official, you'll sadly be mistaken. The individuals that we elect into Congress, right, is going to affect issues such as you know your healthcare, abortion rights, education, immigration, and taxes. One thing that I I have noticed, um, especially you know, at times individuals that are currently serving is that we we can sometimes be in this bubble because for us, you know, healthcare, well, we have, you know, TRICARE Prime. And so whereas we can sit here and you can go to the ER and, you know, give me your DOD ID number and you're not walking out with a bill that you have to pay, like we take that for granted that that's just always going to be there. So when we say, okay, oh, with affordable care, that doesn't have anything to do with me because I'm a veteran. I got the VA and this and that. Well, talk to a, a veteran that has to go to the VA and get some insight from them and how that process is. You may get some good feedback, but I guarantee you also get a lot of negative. But who's, oh, who has the, that oversight of the VA organization? Congress does. So to say that to, to think that that won't necessarily affect you would be very, a very naive assumption to have. So let's talk about voting rights. Cause that wasn't always something that was a guarantee. And I'm going to just kind of generalize and give some, some dates, just to give you some context as to where we're at. So 1776 white men with property have the right to vote, but Catholics, Jews, Quakers and others are barred from voting. 1776. In 1869 congress passes the 15th amendment giving african-american men the equal right to vote now between that time right almost what is it almost 100 years later you know african-american men finally have the equal right to vote you know during that hundred year span You know, all white men were able, you know, to get the right to vote. But with African-Americans, there was this whole thing. Okay, you got to own this and and you got to do like there were so many other roadblocks that were put in the way. Not to mention that you had your Native Americans that had um, so many issues as it related to. Them being disenfranchised and them having roadblocks placed in front of them to keep them from being able to vote. Uh, your Chinese Americans, Japanese Americans. I mean, it was it, it was so, so many initiatives out to prevent these ethnic groups from being able to participate in the political process. So then you roll forward to 1870. And then you have the 15th Amendment that is ratified by the states. Uh, giving free slaves and other African-Americans the equal right to vote. 1870, just under a hundred years, right? Because 1776, we had white men being able to vote who owned property. So if you didn't own property and you were a white man, you couldn't vote. But eventually within those hundred years, you would still get that right. But other ethnic groups didn't have that. So then 1870 rolls around and we say, hey, African-Americans, you're good. But then what happens? This is when your voter suppression really starts to run rampant. You had certain processes put in place, such as poll taxes, which was essentially a tax that the majority of the minority communities, because they couldn't pay it. So they couldn't vote. You also had grandfather clauses. And an example of that would be, so in Louisiana, if your grandfather could vote in 1867, then you were eligible, whether you could read or not read. And we know that pretty much all African Americans at the time were slaves. So they were automatically disqualified from voting. Even though we had a law that was put in place saying, hey, yeah, you can vote. But then we have these these loopholes. And then during that time frame, during those 1870s, the percentages of black voters dropped from around 50% down to less than 4%. In 1920, the 19th Amendment was finally ratified by the states and became a national law giving women the right to vote. So it took 72 years of protesting, which is crazy, 72 years of protesting to finally have the right to vote as a woman. Fast forward a little bit more 1965, you had the Voting Rights Act. It gave minorities voting rights protections the act forbid, like literacy tests or other barriers that were used to prevent individuals from registering. And unfortunately, those different barriers, they predominantly affected minority communities. So the Voting Rights Act was put in place to uh, to counter that. You, the other argument you have is, "Oh, well, my vote doesn't matter. And I would beg to differ. As, just in going through just a quick timeline, not even diving deep into the things that we could dive into, one thing is common. There, there's always been some type of a plot to try to prevent people from voting. So if your vote didn't matter, then why would people work so hard to try to prevent you from voting if it didn't matter? I'll just sit that, sit that right there so you can think about it. For those friends of yours that you have that make the... Legitimate decision to not vote. Ask them that if it didn't matter, if their belief really is that their vote doesn't matter, then why do people go so far to try to deter you from voting? It doesn't make any sense. So what does that mean? It means get your ass out and vote. They always say, you know, the little corny phrase, be the change you want to see. Things aren't just going to happen by themselves. You have to exercise your, your political power. Because here's the thing that's so great. It doesn't matter if you are a billionaire, a millionaire, a thousandaire, a hundredaire, a couple dollar air. Like everybody gets one vote. Everyone has the same power. So use it. And also understand, or if you don't step foot into the voting booth, then you've also said, Hey, you guys figure it out and I'll accept whatever you guys throw my way because I didn't want to exercise my political power. So whatever you guys decide is fine with me. That's what you're saying by not voting. You either are going to be a part of the problem or you're going to be a part of the solution. There's no, there's no in-between in that. You either vote or you don't. If you don't vote, you're part of the problem. If you vote, you are working to be part of the solution. Well, depending on how you vote, but the important thing is to vote. So with that said, Let's take a break. And when we return, we'll talk leadership. You are listening to the Hayes Gray and Underway Podcast, where Navy life meets real life. All right. Welcome back. We are going to finish things up with our leadership corner. Um, what I intend to do is to dis- to answer three things. Okay. My biggest Leadership failure, my biggest leadership success, and my leadership nugget that I want to pay forward. You know, we always want to see people where they are at that point in time, but don't take into account all the different things that they had to endure to get to that point. And so my goal with Leadership Chronicles is to give you an inside look of leaders so that it will hopefully guide you to know that you may be in a dark time right now, but the light will come, the success will come. You don't have to chase it, you just have to be the best that you can be in the place that you're at. My biggest leadership failure, I would have to say, is my first year of being a chief. So you have six weeks to make this this great leader, which we know realistically, it does, you're not going to do that in six weeks. It's going to take a lot more mentoring and a lot more time for you to develop into the chief that you're going to be. But going through the process, you know, I, I was like, okay. So I, I have what I believe the chief to be. Um, I also had who I was as a person. But then I also had, you know, who they, uh, you know, as an achievement was saying, hey, this is what a chief's supposed to be. So I had three different interpretations that I was trying to mesh together. And I failed miserably. I was on recruiting duty and then I transferred to uh, transferred to my first ship as, as a chief, right, down in San Diego. And I get there and I'm all super duper excited, you know, and I know as a first class, it was like, hey, collaterals and collaterals and collaterals and collaterals. And, you know, it was some leadership stuff in there, but it was like, hey, you need to be in charge of this and charge of that, you know. We get to the ship and, you know, me, I'm a motivated person. So, of course, you know, they are like, yeah, let's throw some stuff at you. Let's throw some collaterals. And I'm taking them all on board. You know, I'm trying to, you know, lead with this iron fist in my division. And there there were so many steps that I missed, right, because I just didn't know. And so I sat here and I ran into, I can't even say roadblock. I was my own roadblock. You know, and when I say I failed, I mean, like, I didn't get it. I didn't understand how to translate that leadership piece. What I knew that I was on the inside, I didn't know how to translate it. I was still trying to find myself. And I was trying to find myself while leading, what was it, like 21, 22 sailors, you know, and the op tempo that came with the ship and, you know, prepping for deployment, going on deployment, coming back, doing a surge, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I... I failed. You know, I, I reached out to the CMC and there were some dynamics there, um, but I can't put it on him because it was my fault. I reached out to the mess, but I think just just by not really being comfortable in the anchors that I was in, I didn't really know how to, just to use the mess as a resource. I guess I don't know if I was expecting someone to just come in on a cape and save it. I don't know. I, I don't know what I was expecting, but I know that I struggled and it wasn't that I didn't know how to do a job. I just didn't know how to mesh everything. And it wasn't until a warrant officer stands for one officer Curry. He's since retired, but that was my, my chiefly fairy godfather. Um, he, he called me into his office. He was like, Hey chief, look, you effing up. And he's like, I get what you're trying to do, but you're going about it all the wrong way. And so we, Kind of had to scale back some things and we had to, in some instances, we had to start from scratch because I had to get it. I didn't have a choice. I had lives in my hands. I had to lead people. I had to mold folks. I had to get it. And so it took him giving me that mentorship, giving me that guidance for me to say, ah, let me start seeing these light bulbs click. Okay. They started coming on. The light bulbs started clicking. So then I was able to move, you know, in a way that was productive, to what we needed to do to accomplish the mission. I, there were times where we were on deployment where I was just like, man, I I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And it took prayer and uh, and more prayer and more prayer. And it took the belief in myself to say, I know that I can do this. I just, I have to figure it out. I don't have a choice. I would sit in my rack and I would and I would give myself the best pep talk that I possibly could because I knew that I wasn't operating to my full potential. And I just, I needed to get out of my own way. Once I was able to do that, along with the guidance that I received from, you know, from my sicko, I was able to fix the problem. So I was able to recover from that stumble and I didn't let it break me. I didn't let it make me into somebody who is just bitter and just hates the Navy because I knew it wasn't the Navy's fault. It was mine. And I'm always going to be eternally grateful both for the lesson, but also for Warren Officer Curry, because I wouldn't be who I am today had I not gone through what I went through. Had I not gotten those scrapes and those bruises, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to walk as confidently confidently as I do. And I wouldn't be able to navigate my way through this thing called Navy as effectively as I can now. I feel like I'm ready for, for anything. So. My biggest leadership success is like I have, I'm able to have the same success every year. So it's like, I want to say it's like my, my reoccurring biggest leadership success. And that would be, uh, the season. Like I am so passionate about pouring into future leaders and helping them to see that Uh, The chief, being a chief is, it's a journey and it's not something that you're going to get right away, but that's okay. But as long as you're willing to do the work, you're always going to get better, stronger. But that period is my favorite time, that six weeks. And the reason why is because I get to pour forward what was poured into me. And I get so excited about that because I always say, man, chiefing is not for the faint of heart. It is a hard job. It is a lonely job. It is a tiresome job. It is a frustrating job, but it is so much so a rewarding job. The fact that you touch every single life that comes within your reach, whether it be that E1 that will become that you know, first-class petty officer, or that chief, senior chief, master chief, or that ensign that will become that captain or that admiral. You have the ability to shape lives and careers. Like how awesome is that? So for me, having gone through the things that I did and being able to overcome, I can't do anything but be positive about the anchors that I wear on my shoulders. And so for me, my biggest success. It's being able to reach somebody, even if it's just one, to be able to move that needle, to get that one individual excited about the journey they are getting ready to embark on, like that is success for me because all it takes is one person to move the needle. The leadership nugget that I would pay forward is this, what is meant for me, you can't have. Far too often we find ourselves in quote unquote competition with someone else. To me, I don't believe in competition. Why? Because what's mine, you can't have. What it's meant for me to get, you cannot have, no matter how hard you try to take it, try to stand in the way of it, try to sit here and detour me from getting it. If it's mine, you can't take it from me. So once I came to that realization, then I never viewed anybody as competition because what you get is yours to have. I can't take what is yours. I get the mindset of this competition aspect like, hey, okay, you know, we're going to push each other to be better. We're going to push each other. Yeah, that's that's the intended purpose. But of course, we're humans, we're fallible. So we take something that's meant for good and we make it evil. So then, competition becomes ugly. It becomes I'm not going to share information with you because I don't want you to outshine me. I don't want you to get more qualified than me because you're going to make me look bad because you're my competition. I don't want to help you with anything because I don't want you getting a better eval than me because you're my competition. And so something that was meant to be healthy now becomes unhealthy. And why? If I sit here and say, man, you're getting these accolades, man, that's, that's all you right there. Like you've earned that. That was meant for you. All I, all I can do is sit here and continue to grind and continue to work and continue to be you know, patient for the things that are meant for me and that are going to happen for me because they were ordained to happen for me. That's all I can do. So if I can focus on that, if I can focus on being the best me that I can be, if I can focus on doing what it is that I need to do, whether it's me assisting you in getting further, then that's what I'm going to do. Because what's meant for me is mine. Like it's supposed to happen and you can't have it. When we sit here and we get into this competitive mindset, we can't really build genuine relationships. Like you just can't. In my opinion, you can't build genuine relationships. Why? Because I'm trying to outdo you. You're trying to outdo me. So how can we really have a genuine relationship? I can't be a hundred percent honest with you because if you're my competition, how do I know that you won't try to use a conversation against me? How do I know that you won't try to screw me over to make yourself look better? What's meant for me, you can't have. And what's meant for you, I can't have. So, if what's meant for you, I can't have, can't touch, can't, none of that, then we should always be able to develop genuine relationships because, too, let me help you get to your destination faster because, in hell, that might help me get to mine faster. Just saying. So, that's the show for today. I hope that you learned something and I look forward to engaging with you all next week. I hope that you've enjoyed this week's episode of the podcast. Hit the subscribe button so you can stay connected with the latest episodes on both iTunes and the Google Play Store. You can also stay connected with me by liking my page on Facebook and following me on Instagram and Twitter at Hayes Gray Underway. And if no one has told you today, let me be the first to say thank you for all that you do, all that you've done, and all that you will do. Until next time.